0: In 1997, the year after I won the Texas Open, I'm playing at Colonial, the Colonial Invitational. And I played a couple of good rounds to start the tournament. And then in the third round, I shot 62, which is eight under par at Colonial. And here's what I remember about the round. I remember hitting the first tee shot because I happened to be playing um, the golf with, uh, uh, you know, I mean, close, close to the leaders. I remember hitting the tee shot, and that's about it. I know that I made eight birdies. I know that I birdied 7, eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. I know that because that's what the record shows. But I don't have a recollection of exactly how I did that.
1: What's going on in the brain when someone gets into an extremely high level of performance? This first clip that we just heard is from David Ogren describing his experience around being in a state that we call the zone.
2: You got some people who have amazing gifts. You know, you think of John Daly, right? I mean, I remember one time he won here at uh, Buick and it was at the 18th hole and, uh, you know, he hit a wood into the green or whatever. You know, he threw the cigarette down, the cameraman didn't even get to him, and he had hit the shot. So it was like this great example of, he wasn't thinking of anything. You know, there's a ball, you know, you know, is throw the cigarette down,
1: Boom. We've all heard of it before. Some call it the zone, but what does it really mean? And what does the research tell us is actually going on in the brain? And more importantly, how can we go about setting ourselves up to increase our potential chances of being in the zone during performance? When
3: I was young, I played very competitive table tennis. I was in the finals of the United States Junior Championships at Caesars Palace. And in that finals, I had a really unusual event. I was meditating before the finals, and I was seeing myself before the match, looking down and watching me smash the ball. When I got into the finals, the the ball that in table tennis can come 90 miles an hour, it, it seemed to come in slow motion. It was almost as if it was a big goose egg coming at me, and I could do anything I wanted with it. The long and the short of the story is that really you know spurned my uh uh, my interest in athletic peak performance and and how it related to states of consciousness before that match i was meditating in almost a dreamlike state and then the performance was among my very best so this is really where it all started for
1: me today we're talking with someone who's been the coach for some players you might know David Duvall, Rich Beam, Phil Mickelson, Lee Jansen, and more. And he's also done some really good research that's going to help us understand how the brain works and what it's doing during performance.
2: I am Dr. Michael Larden, medical doctor, University of California, San Diego, associate professor, department of medicine, consulting psychiatrist for many years for the U.S. Olympic teams, and then a lot of clinical work in the past however many
1: years, 20 years. Amazing. You're listening to the golf science lab, where we're bringing to light research and concepts that you might not have heard of before discovering insights to help you start performing better on the golf course. This season of the Golf Science Lab, we're diving into neuroscience, the brain, and sports psychology. If you're looking to figure out how to perform your best mentally and try to understand what's going on during performance, you're in the right place. We're gonna have a number of episodes with some experts in the field who are gonna share their research, and share with you what you need to be doing. If you're looking to get access to the exclusive content and stay up to date with everything that's going on at the Golf Science Lab, join the Insider Club. It's free, and you can do it over at golfsciencelab.com backslash insider. We're going to start off this conversation with an analogy, analogy of what's going on in the brain of a high-level athlete, and then dive into the research. But before that, a word from this episode's sponsors. Most people practice poorly. The number one teacher in Colorado, Trent Werner, has seen a lot of this over the years.
0: One is the old scrape and hit, right, that everybody kind of knows and you whack a ball and there's no learning from it. You, you know it's bad, you're, you're, you're pulling another one over before the other one's even landed and you're raking over another one to basically just repeat it
1: over and over again. When we look at the research, it's easy to see that this doesn't work. That's why setting up games and drills, tracking progress, and simulating pressure is critical. Trent actually wrote a book about 10 years ago called Golf Scrimmages, talking about setting up good practice environments. He then took that and built an application at golfscrimmages.com so you can access the games anywhere and find out what you need to do for the skills you need to work on. And then watch as you go through leaderboards. So head over to golfscrimmages.com and watch a video showing you how it all works. Again, it's golfscrimmages.com when i was young my brother and i were into
3: high-end stereos the best stereos in the world they don't have equalizers it's all about how fast the circuit is between transducer i.e. the CD player or the record player through the circuit to the speakers which is the other transducer. Some of the cables in fact are gold inlaid so it allows the circuit to move as fast as possible. There's no equalizer to divvy up the frequencies and lengthen the circuit. In fact, if you can reproduce the sound really fast, what happens is you get a phenomenon of the sound imaging depth and size, almost as if you were sitting in a concert hall. Similarly, and the analogy, is when your brain is quiet, you have the motor movement that makes the circuit go seamlessly. In contrast, if you're the amateur golfer and you're ready to take a putt or a chip and you just think for a hair of a second and have a little bit of trepidation about what you're doing, your rhythm's off, you chunk it, you blade it, you pull the putt, and you miss it. And instead of an equalizer like the stereo analogy, anxiety lengthens the circuit. And so from the mind to the motor, Transducer to transducer, that circuit gets longer and our motor movement isn't as rhythmic or smooth. So, when you're in the zone, that's to make the circuit as fast as possible and not interrupt it with conscious thought.
1: Everything is simple. The information is processed quickly and efficiently. But when we introduce anxiety and stress, we're adding distractions into the brain that inhibit performance. They cloud the mind and introduce thoughts that take the athlete out of the present and out of the zone.
2: If you're really anxious, you don't pay attention to everything because your your mind is clouded. Um, So by putting them in the present, right, you reduce anxiety.
1: We're going to get a bit technical here, but I think it's really important to understand in the context of this conversation about the zone and high performance.
2: You know, the idea was when you're in that place, you know, you're not really thinking, right? There's this old Zen saying, you know, you want to be in the gap between two thoughts. So I was looking at the technology of the day, and this is before we have, we have a lot of new stuff, spec and PET scans. But back then we were using a technology called ERPs, that's event-related potentials. And here's what it is simply. Think of an EKG. You know, we all see that on ER or whatever TV show, and you know we get the triangle line, and then a little one, ba-bop, ba and that's you know your ventricle and your atrium. So you can see this electrical current in your heart, and that's an EKG. Well, analogous to that, you have the same thing in your brain, but it's called an ERP, event-related potential. How you do that is pretty simple. You just do an EEG what measures the electrical activity in your brain, and, and, and really that's like putting a microphone in New York City, so there's so much noise, the brain's so complicated, it's very hard to discern. So what they use is what's called Fourier transformation, and that's a very you know, powerful mathematic tool, if you will, and it's signal, average, all the noise out, and what you're left with is every time I make a, a stimulus, so if I want to make a clap my hand, that is an auditory stimulus. It goes in your ear, goes through the eighth nerve, the cochlear nerve, and it goes into your brain, and it goes to the auditory center of your brain. So the idea was like this, that we, and, and everybody has an ERP, and so we, we and it kind of looks like an EKG, and everybody has like 300 milliseconds in. We know that's in the cortex. Okay, and you're thinking about stuff. So people with dementia, their spike, their wave is, is smaller. It's not as big a wave, and it comes late. So, you know, they're not thinking as well, if you will. The speed of thought isn't as good. So what I hypothesized was, and back then I was, I spent some time with McEnroe and Agassiz. And, uh, you know, what was amazing to me, the ball, you know, Agassiz had this incredible return of serve. And this ball is moving so fast, it's so instinctual that I thought, well, what's going on in the brain? You know, it's the opposite of dementia. So maybe this P300 comes quicker with greater amplitude because the brain is more sensitized. Like Ted Williams used to talk about, you know, seeing the label on the ball, right? You know, he could actually see the stitches. Now, whether or not that's true, he reported it. So what we did is we took, uh, we made three groups. We uh, took some of the great athletes of the world, uh, world champions, Scott Tinley, Mark Allen, they're triathletes, uh, Peter Vidmar won a couple gold medals in the Olympics, Hayden, you know, people of that level, that caliber. And um, we gave them these tests, right, to see how fast their brain processes things. And we compared them to what's called match controls. Um, And then we used another control group, which were people very highly trained, uh, but not super elite athletes. And long story short, we published a couple of papers. What was a very strong result, which is still in many of the papers today, like nature, which is like a really big deal in science, uh, is that we showed that when you were in better physical shape, so the great athlete group and the well-trained group, Your thought is more efficient, it's faster.
1: When they looked at the brains of high level elite athletes, they saw that they could process stimuli faster and earlier, giving them this feeling of slow motion or the zone. And they also produced more delta brain activity, which might mean that they have increased blood flow in their brain.
2: That sort of makes sense. Hypothesis could be cerebral blood flow is better. But the other thing that we got a trend was this, was it appeared that my hypothesis wasn't quite right, where I thought, okay, in the 300, where it should be in the cortex, it's coming quicker. It was actually at N50. So there's a negative wave early at 50 milliseconds. And what it showed was the great athletes were more primed. So they picked up the stimulus earlier. So for example, in baseball, the pitcher... Right, if you and I were up there to bat against the best pitchers in the world, that ball come, you know, zipping by, and heck, we just see a blur, right? But the great hitters are actually picking that ball up as it releases the fingertips. Uh, Phil Mickelson, you know, he has, um, you know, this wonderful sense of control of where that club head is. So he's feeling something more sensitive to us. Tiger used to, he could feel a weight in a club. I mean, I've heard these stories through the years from some of the players. So, so whether, it's, whether it's auditory stimulus, visual stimulus, uh, somatosensory, that's called kinesthetic, it appears that the greater athletes have this enhanced ability to pick that up, at least we saw then maybe in an earlier, or you might say more sensitive way.
1: So we're talking about being completely present. The mind is empty and focused on the performance at hand. And that's why we started talking about the negative impact that stress can have and the detrimental effects of a clouded and cluttered mind. And when we relate this back to some of the research on focus... It makes sense we talked about internal focus in the last season of the golf science lab and and how an internal focus on body movements brings about a loss in fluidity and how an external focus gets the mind outside the analytical left side of the brain and more toward the right
2: i mean if you want to win the u.s open what do you got to do you got to hit the ball straight right you got to get out of the rough you gotta you gotta make putts you gotta and if we distill it down, you, you really have to hit, you know, quality shots for four days. So, so what I started to look at is, you know, what is the integral parts of quality golf shots? And, you know, all quality shots, and this generalizes, I do work with place kickers in the NFL, very similar, high jumper in the Olympics, you know, skiers. And it's kind of, I call left brain, right brain, no brain. And, and here's how that is. Left brain, the analytic. Here's the shot in front of you. I got to hit a six iron, right? I, you know, it's 165 yards. So the wind's this way. I want to come into the green that way. The topography of the green. So you use your left brain. On tour, you have a caddy. You talk about it. You get the strategy. Now, what is really essential is this right brain piece. So Aaron Baddeley, he'll shut his eyes. He'll visualize. Uh, Duval, when he played really good, he held on and he used to cut the ball and he'd take out the left side of the fairway. Phil, he had, he creates a really good sense of what he wants this ball to do. And, and if there's one thing I saw at the very high level, you know, it, it would be like this. Um, if the, the great golfer had a really, you know, difficult shot, they would innately really visualize it and see it. And they would hit these incredible things that, you know, you and I couldn't do, Right. Um, they could get in trouble if they had a generic 9-iron at 135 yards because, you know, you no-brain it, right? And, and, and golf's a little like surgery. You know, if I make a nick in the wrong place, right, what happens is I, there is a cascade of events afterwards that I have to fix. So, you know, if I shank the ball, you know, then i got to deal with the next shot and the next shot. So golf is very much about being impeccable and being patient. So the idea is that every shot has a component of the left brain, get it figured out, the right brain when me see it, and then no brain, which is step in, rip it, full commitment.
1: So now we have an idea of what's going on in the brain during high performance, but how do we get there? What do we need to do to set ourselves up for the best performance on the golf course, like David Ogren experienced while shooting 29?
0: I went out the first nine, and the record shows I shot 29 going out. What I recollect about that nine was every swing I made turned out good, almost as if it did not matter. I remember being on the first tee after shooting 29 and looking at my cat and go, I just shot 29, which is my first recollection of figuring out what I did. I promptly hit it in the houses
1: to avoid this moment of, of looking at a score and saying, I just shot 29, Dr. Lardin has developed a process around a mental scorecard, something you can control, and that's a part of your process and actions. So instead of the score and the outcome, let's score what you're doing in the brain and what you can control.
2: Well, I mean, I, if you really want to get better at golf and you want to do it, you know, with... Uh uh, the, 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 I'd say the least time consuming way and really the easiest way. I think if you, uh, try to work with the mental scorecard system and let me say, um, that Phil coined it. I used to call it the two scorecards. I mentioned it in my book in 2008, finding your zone. And when I brought it to Phil, he just started calling it the mental scorecard. So I, uh, you know, took it from the man um, but it's an easy thing to do. Everybody can do it. And your, your golf game is definitely going to be better the, the next day you do it. We teach the golfer, I'm not interested whether you made bogey par or whatever. You know, We write that on the card. I'm interested on those four shots. Were you four for four? Was your mental scorecard good? Was each shot So let's say you hit it in from the fairway for eagle, but you really didn't see the shot, we go 0 for 1 even though you made eagle. So maybe you made a good drive, you hit it in from the fairway, but that would be 1 for 2 because you didn't go through the step. Conversely, you might hit it on the green, you could even hit it out of bounds, but if you went through these things, okay, because all you can control in golf is the ball, up until the time, it make contact and releases the club. After that, you know, it's to the gods, right? So, so the idea was to focus on the things that you could control. So what happens is when you do that, you know, we did a lot of work on this. So the very good players, best players in the world, 95%. I think when Phil won the British, we talked about it, only like two shots was he not there for four days. So he's was at like 98%. You know, an average golfer, I don't know, 20 handicapper, he's probably hit 20%. So I always say one of the best ways to improve your game, if you're not a great player, is uh, this, because, you know, this is just paying attention. And if you pay attention, you know, just a little bit more, the correlation with better score is very high. So if I say to a golfer, and I've done this many times to like web.com guys that come here. You know, we teach them the concept. I say, well, you know, what do you think you could do? Because we we rate them and they're at like maybe 85%, which is still good. Um, They'll say, okay, doc, I think I could get it to 95% or something, right? And I say, really, only 95%? I said, so how about if, you know, they were going to, you know, execute your wife or your kid? You know, if you didn't, you know, could you do it every shot? And of course, the answer is yes, right? Of course, I could do it every shot. And, um, and, and so I say, okay, now we have a benchmark. This is something we can do. We can pay attention to. And, and what happens, it gives a sense of control. So Paul Godos, one year he won, uh, he, no, Sergio Garcia won the tournament, the big uh, TPC in Florida at Sawgrass. And, and anyhow, in, in the 17th hole of par three, Godos hit a great shot, you know, made the putt, birdie, got the playoff, then they went to the playoff, they went to that hole. Got us essentially at the same shot, but there was a little gust of wind. And I guess the ball went in the water, Surge won. And when they interviewed Gotos, uh, you know, he said, Hey, I did everything. You know, I went through my process. And so what's good is he can feel good even though he came in second. Um, and, you know, I think of one time Rich Beam, we were at the Bell South Classic. It was a five man playoff. Long story short, it was Phil and Beamer at the end, and, and Phil won. And Beam, you know, played fantastic, right? 16 under, five-man playoff, last guy, almost won, you know, Phil chipped in. But but back then, we weren't using the system, and so Beam is bummed out. So it hurts his confidence, even though he played really well. So then we take a look at it from the mental scorecard aspect. Hey, I mean, we really did this with Phil at the U.S. Open before he won the Scottish and the, the British, you know, he was super bummed, right? It was, what, his fifth or sixth U.S. Open? He came in second, you know, the whole thing. But when we broke it down, he really played fantastic. You know, not perfect, but nobody's perfect. So what did that do? You know, he went from feeling super bummed out to, to feeling, you know, hey, I'm, my game's really good. So, you know, I said, all right, you know, it's the way life is, right? So let's put it behind us. Your game is good. And then he went over and, you know, created history, winning the two events there. So it's a wonderful way for the golfer to develop confidence in the right way. Um, and we, we, you know, so like I'll say, how do you play, right, to a guy? And I don't want to hear him tell me he shot 72. I want to hear him tell me his mental scorecard was, you know, 98%. Then I know he played well. And and so it, it satiates that primal need to rate yourself, to to judge yourself, right? but it does it in a way that you have the capacity to be 100%. It, all those variables are you're in your control. Um, and, and so I found that to be very effective for almost all the golfers. The place kicker, same thing. You know, the wind's here. Can I see the, the kick? Boom, executed. You know, the high jumper, the wind, the Fallsbury flop. You know, same thing with the skiers going up. You know, the gate's fast, slow. Okay, now I got to see the turns in the gate. Now the green light, boom, go.
1: If you're interested in checking out the mental scorecard, make sure to head over to Dr. Lardon's website, com, and you can download it there for free. Now, what do you do if you're drifting over into the left side of your brain, into that analytical side? Because we all have bad days when the water hazards look a lot closer to the green than they really are.
2: If if your mind's drifting, and you know there's water on the left, and you got to win the tournament, you know you're human, and maybe you think about the water. If that's, and, and maybe you can't do the no mind because you you know you're too nervous. So in that case, we give a technique called thought substitution, which simply would be um, you know let's think of a non-technical thought, so to, so we don't think of some negative thought like hit it into the water, right? And and one Billy Casper used to use, and he's a, a great old golfer. He just passed away. He's from San Diego. Um, he would say, "Finish high." And you know, for any you know high level golfer, finish high is not really a thought you have to think about, right? I mean, they finish high. So the beauty of that thought is he's not thinking about anything negative. When Byron Nelson, um, when Byron Nelson won the um, Uh, Like what was it, 11 tournaments in a row, Um, Ben Hogan, I think it was Ben Hogan, um, I think I cited in my book accurately, Matt Matt remembered it, but um, Ben Hogan said, you know, what was your secret, you know, 11 in a row, I mean, it's never been duplicated, and what he said was, "Uh, I just kept one swing thought, and now the normal person would say, well, you know, Mr. Nelson, what was the swing thought, right? And you know what Sam's, uh, you know what, uh, Ben Hogan said, he said, thank you <laughs> because he knew that it wasn't so much what the swing thought was. It was that he kept the same thing to keep him centered through the pressure throughout the 11 weeks. So that is the, the beauty of
1: that. Make sure to check out Dr. Larn's new book called mastering golf's mental game.
2: What happens is you read a little about motivational theory and I try to put it in a layperson's churn, then I have you take a test, a little test so you can see if you're strong or weak. And if you're weak, that's something we want to work on. And then I give you a drills or let's say attitude. You know, you have somebody who's always negativistic, right? So we kind of talk about why that's important. What are the attitudes, you know, examples of famous golfers or athletes, and then you rate yourself. And then there's some homework if you need it. So, those things are attitude and motivation, controlling your thoughts under pressure, controlling your emotions, how to concentrate. So like that's something many people don't understand. If you want to do well on a test and you have 5 hours, you don't sit down and just, you know, hammer for 5 hours. You have to do it in the most efficient way for optimal performance, which would be 45 minutes, you know, take a break, shoot some hoops, come back. Uh, that's what we did in med school. Now, golf you can't do that, but if you grind, so we teach people, and this is Nicholas did this. He used this accordion metaphor where the accordion closes when he hits the ball. As soon as the ball leaves, it opens. He relaxes. We call that um, uh, wide focus. Then as he sees the ball, the, the focus narrows, right? And he has narrow focus. Boom and then he can relax again. So it's this accordion, it's this pulsing, and what that does is it gives you a little time to rest. And then the second part of the book is really this mental scorecard piece uh, where you rate yourself after, and it teaches you to really stay, you know, it's a technique to stay focused in the here and now. So one's
1: hands-on in the course, and one is kind of behind the scenes. So check that out, and make sure to start paying attention to what's going on in your brain during performance, and set yourself up for success during the round by being in your best state possible.
0: Yes, absolutely. Dive in the mechanics, dive into the metrics, dive into the measurables. But I promise you, when you're shooting at that right pin on the island green at TPC and it means something, all of that has to go away. And if you don't know how to make it all go away, you're running the risk of something good not happening.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Larden, for sharing with us. Make sure to check out his books and website, drlarden.com. Also, you heard from David Ogren. You can follow him on Twitter, at D. Ogren. Join us and the Golf Science Lab Insider Club. Head over to golfsciencelab.com backslash insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we're documenting in golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter, at Cordy Walker. Uh, Thank you to this season's content partner, Dr. Brett McCade of TheMindSide.com for his advice and help putting this season together. This is edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions, and we'll see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.